Chapter 10 of Glimpses of Italian Society in the 18th Century by Hester Lynch Piozzi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Rome Revisited. We are come here just in time to see the three last days of the carnival, and very droll it is to walk or drive and see the people run about the streets all in some gay disguise or other, and masked and patched and painted to make sport. The Corso is now quite a scene of distraction, the coachman on the boxes pretending to be drunk and throwing sugar plums at the women, which it goes hard to find out in the crowd and confusion as the evening, which shuts in early, is the festive hour, and there is some little hazard in parading the streets, lest an accident might happen though a temporary rail and trottoir are erected to keep the carriages off. Our high joke, however, seems to consist in the men putting on girls' clothes. A woman is somewhat a rarity at Rome, and strangely superfluous, as it should appear, by the extraordinary substitutes found for them on the stage. It is more than wonderful to see great strong fellows dancing the women's parts in these fashionable dramas pastoral and heroic ballets as they call them soprano singers did not so surprise me with their feminine appearance in the opera but these clumsy figurants or stout coarse-looking men kicking about in hooped petticoats were to me irresistibly ridiculous the gentlemen with me, however, both Italians and English, were too much disgusted to laugh while la première danseuse acted the coquette beauty or distracted mother with a black beard, which no art could subdue, and destroyed every illusion of the pantomime at a glance. All this struck nobody but us foreigners, after all. Tumultuous and often tender applauses from the pit convinced us of their heartfelt approbation and in the parterre sat gentlemen much celebrated at rome for their taste and refinement as their exhibition did not please our party notwithstanding its singularity we went but once to the theatre except when a festa di balla was advertised to begin at eleven o'clock one night but detained the company waiting on its stairs for two hours at least beyond the time for my own part i was better amused outside the doors than in masquerades can of themselves give very little pleasure except when they are new things what was most my delight and wonder to observe was the sight of perhaps two hundred people of different ranks all in my mind strangely ill-treated by a nobleman who having a private supper in the room prevented their entrance, who paid for admission. All mortified, all crowded together in an inconvenient place, all suffering much from heat and more from disappointment, yet all in perfect good humour with each other, and with the gentleman who detained, in longing and ardent, but not impatiently expressed expectation, such a number of Romans who, as I could not avoid remarking, certainly deserve to rule over all the world once more if as we often read in history command is to be best learned from the practice of obedience the masquerade was carried on when we had once begun it 
with more taste and elegance here than either at Naples or Milan. So it was at Florence, I remember, more dresses of contrivance and fancy being produced. We had a very pretty device last night of a man who pretended to carry statues about as if for sale. The gentlemen and ladies who personated the figures were incomparable from the choice of attitudes and skill in colouring, but il carnavale è morto, as the women of quality told us last night from their coaches, in which they carried little transparent lanterns of a round form, red, blue and green, etc., to help forward the shine. And these they throw at each other as they did sugar plums in the other towns, while the millions of small, thin, bougie candles held in every hand and stuck up at every balcony make the strada del popolo as light as day and produce a wonderfully pretty effect, gay, natural and pleasing. The unstudied hilarity of Italians is very rejoicing to the heart from one's consciousness that it is the result of cheerfulness really felt not a mere incentive to happiness hoped for. The death of Carnavale, who was carried to his grave with so many candles suddenly extinguished at twelve o'clock last night, has restored to us a tranquil possession of ourselves and to an opportunity of examining the beauties of nature and art that surround one. Nothing can look very grand in St. Peter's Church, and though I saw the general benediction given, I hope partook it upon Easter Day, my constant impression was that the people were below the place. No pomp, no glare, no dove and glory on the chair of state, but what looked too little for the area that contained them. Sublimity disdains to catch the vulgar eye, she elevates the soul. Nor can long-drawn processions or splendid ceremonies suffice to content those travellers who seek for images that never tarnish and for truths that never can decay. Pius Sextus, in his morning dress, paying his private devotions at the altar without any pageantry and very few attendants, struck me more a thousand and a thousand times than when arrayed in gold in colours and diamonds he was carried to the front of a balcony big enough to contain the conclave, and there, shaded by two white fans, which, though really enormous, looked no larger than that a girl carries in her pocket, pronounced words which, on account of the height they came from, were difficult to hear. All this is known and felt by the managers of these theatrical exhibitions so certainly that they judiciously confine great part of them to the Capella Sistina, which, being large enough to impress the mind with its solemnity, and not spacious enough for the priest's congregation and all to be lost in it, is well adapted for those various functions that really make Rome a scene of perpetual gala during the Holy Week, which, as an English friend here protested to me, he had never spent with so little devotion in his life before. The miserere has, however, a strong power over one's mind. The absence of all instrumental music, the steadiness of so many human voices, the gloom of the place, the picture of Michelangelo's last judgment covering its walls, 
with the morning dress of the spectators is altogether calculated with great ingenuity to give a sudden stroke to the imagination and kindle that temporary blaze of devotion it is wisely enough intended to excite but even this has much of its effect destroyed from the admission of too many people crowd and bustle and struggle for places leave no room for any ideas to range themselves and least of all serious ones nor would the opening of our sacred music in westminster abbey when nine hundred performers joined to celebrate messiah's praises make that impression which it does upon the mind were not the king and court and all the audience as still as death when the first note is taken the ceremony of washing the pilgrim's feet is a pleasing one it is seen in high perfection here at rome where all that the pope personally performs is done with infinite grace and with an air of mingled majesty and sweetness difficult to hit but singularly becoming in him who is both priest of god and sovereign of his people but how said cyrus shall i make men think me more excellent than themselves by being really so replies xenophon putting his words into the mouth of cambyses pious sextus takes no deeper method i believe yet all acknowledge his superior merit no prince can less affect state nor no clergyman can less adopt hypocritical behaviour the pope powders his hair like any other of the cardinals and is it seems the first who has ever done so when he takes the air it is in a fashionable carriage with a few very few guards on horseback and is by no means desirous of making himself a show now and then an old woman begs his blessing as he passes but i almost remember the time when our bishops of bangor and st asaph were followed by the country people in north wales full as much or more and with just the same feelings one man in particular we used to talk of who came from a distant part of our mountainous province with much expense in proportion to his abilities poor fellow and terrible fatigue he was a tenant of my father's who asked him how he ventured to undertake so troublesome a journey it was to get my good lord's blessing replied the farmer i hope it will cure my rheumatism kissing the slipper at rome will probably in a hundred years more be a thing to be thus faintly recollected by a few very old people and it is strange to me that it should have lasted so long no man better knows than the present learned and pious successor of st peter that st peter himself would permit no act of adoration to his own person and that he severely reproved cornelius for kneeling to him charging him to rise and stand upon his feet adding these remarkable words seeing i also am a man footnote surge et ego ipse homo sum vulgar End footnote. surely it will at last be found out among them that such a ceremony is inconsistent with the pope's character as a christian priest however it may suit state matters to continue it in the character of a sovereign 
the roads he is now making on every side his capital to facilitate foreigners' approach, the money he has laid out on the conveniences of the Vatican, the desire he feels of reforming a police much in want of reformation, joined to an immaculate character for private virtue and elegant taste for the fine arts, must make everyone wish for a long continuance of his health and dignity, though the wits and jokers, when they see his arms up, as they are often placed in galleries, etc., about the palace, and consist of a zephyr blowing on a flower, a pair of eagle's wings and a few stars, have invented this epigram to say that when the emperor has got his eagle back, the king of France his fleur-de-lis, and the stars are gone to heaven, Braski will have nothing left him but the wind. Rere aquilam Cesari, Francorum Lilia Regi, Sidra Rede Polo, Cetra Braske Tibi. These verses were given me by an agreeable Benedictine friar, member of a convent belonging to St. Paul's for Dele Mura. He was a learned man, a native of Ragusa, had been particularly intimate with Wortley Montague, whose variety of acquirements had impressed him exceedingly. He showed us the curiosities of his church, the finest in Rome, next to St. Peter's, and had silver gates, but the plating is worn off and only the brass remains. There is an old Egyptian candlestick above five feet high preserved here, and many other singularities adorn the church. Here is an altar supported by four pillars of red porphyry, and here are the pictures of all the popes. St. Peter first, and our present Braski last. It has given much occasion for chat that there should now be no room left to hang a successor's portrait, and that he who now occupies the chair is painted in powdered hair and a white headdress, such as he wears every day, to the great affliction of his courtiers, who recommended the usual state diadem, but, no, no, said he, there have been red-capped popes enough. Mine shall be only white. And white it is. This beautiful edifice was built by the Emperor Theodosius, and there is an old picture at the top of our Saviour giving the benediction in the form that all the Greek priests give it now. Apropos, there have been many sects of Oriental Christians dropped into the Church of Rome within these latter years. A very venerable old Armenian says Greek Mass regularly in St. Peter's Church every day before one particular altar. His long black dress and white beard attracted much of my notice. He saw it did, and now whenever we meet in the street, by chance he kindly stands still to bless me. But the Syriac or Maronites have a church to themselves, just by the Bocca della Verità. And extremely curious we thought it to see their ceremonies upon Palm Sunday, when their aged patriarch, not less than ninety-three years old, and richly attired with an inconvenient weight of drapery, and a mitre shaped like that of Aaron in our Bibles exactly, was supported by two olive-coloured Orientals, while he pronounced a benediction on the tree that stood near the altar, and was at least ten feet high. The attendant clergy, habited after their own eastern taste, and very superbly, 
had broad phylacteries bound on their foreheads after the fashion of the Jews, and carried long strips of parchment up and down the church, with the law written on them in Syriac characters, while they formed themselves into a procession, and led their truly reverend principal back to his place. An exhibition so striking, with the view of many monuments round the walls sacred to the memory of such and such a bishop of Damascus, gave so strong an impression of Asiatic manners to the mind, that one felt glad to find Europe round one on going out again. The fireworks exhibited on the castle of St. Angelo on Easter Day are the completest things of their kind in the world. Three thousand rockets, all sent up into the air at once, make a wonderful burst indeed, and serve as a pretty imitation of Vesuvius. The lighting up of the building, too, on a sudden with firepots, had a new and beautiful effect. We all liked the entertainment vastly. The vecchia is here at Rome, the common phrase when speaking of our only female servant, a person not unlike an Oxford or Cambridge bedmaker in appearance. And much amazed was I two days ago at the answer of our vecchia, when curiosity prompted me to ask her age. Oh, madam, I am a very aged woman, was the reply, and have two grandchildren married. I am forty-two years old. Poveretta me. I told an Italian gentleman who dined with us what Caterina had said, and begged him to ask the laquais de place, who waited on us at table, a similar question. He appeared a large, well-looking, sturdy fellow about thirty-eight years old, but said he was scarce twenty-two, that he had been married six years and had five children. How old was your wife when you met? Thirteen, sir, answered Carlo. So all is kept even at least, for if they end life sooner than in colder climates, they begin it earlier, it is plain. Yet such things seem strange to us, said with thousand which occur in these warm countries in the commonest life. Brick floors, for example, with hangings of a dirty printed cotton affording no bad shelter for spiders, bugs, etc. A table in the same room encrusted with verre antique, very fine and worthy of Wilton House, with some exceeding good copies of the finest pictures here at Rome, form the furniture of our present lodging. And now we have got the little casement windows clean to look at it, I pass whole hours admiring even in the copy, our glorious descent from the cross by Daniel de Volterra. Pius Sextus has had a legacy left him within these last years, to the prejudice of some noblemen's heirs who loudly lamented their fate, and his tyranny who could take advantage, as they expressed it, of their relations caprice. The Pope did not give it them back, because they behaved so ill, he said. But neither did he seize what was left to him by dint of despotic authority. He went to law with the family for it, which I thought a very strange thing, and lost his cause, which I thought a still stranger. Villa Albani is the most dazzling of any place yet and the caryatid pillars the finest things in it. They replete with wonders, and distracting with objects each 
worthy a whole day's attention. Here is an antique list of Euripides' plays in marble, as those tell me who can read the Greek inscriptions. I lose infinite pleasure every day for want of deeper learning. What has most struck me here as a real improvement upon social and civil life was the school of Abate Sylvestre, who upon the plan of Monsieur Lepay at Paris teaches the deaf and dumb people to speak, read, write and cast accounts. He likewise teaches them the principles of logic and instructs them in the sacred mysteries of our holy religion. I am not naturally credulous, nor apt to take payment in words for meanings. Much of my life has been spent in all my youth in the tuition of babies. I was, of course, less likely to be deceived, and I can safely say that they did appear to have learned all that he taught them. That appearance, too, if it were no more, is so difficult to obtain, the patience required from the master is so very great, and the good he is doing to mankind so extensive, that I did not like offensively to detect the difference between knowing a syllogism and appearing to know it. With regard to morality, the pupils have certainly gained many precognita, while the capital scholars were showing off to another party, I addressed a girl who sat working in the window and perceived that she could explain the meaning of the commandments competently well. To prove the truth, I pretended to pick a gentleman's pocket who stood near me. Peccato, said the wench distinctly. She was about ten years old, perhaps. But a little boy of seven was deservedly the master's favourite. He really possessed the most intelligent and interesting countenance I ever saw, and when to explain the major, minor and consequence, he put the two first together into his hat with an air of triumph. We were enchanted with him. Someone to tease him said he had red hair. He instantly led them to a picture of our saviour which hung in the room, said it was the same colour as his, and ought to be respected. The Italians seem to find out, I know not why, that it is a good thing the Jesuits are gone, though they steadily endeavour to retain those principles of despotism which it was their peculiar province to inspire and confirm, and whilst all men must see that the work of education goes on worse in other hands. Indeed, nothing can be wilder than committing youth to the tuition of monks and nuns unless, like them, they were intended for the cloister. We have been led to reflections of this sort by a view of girls portioned here at Rome once a year, some for marriage and others for a nunnery. The last set were the handsomest and fewest, and the people I converse with say that every day makes an almost visible diminution in the number of monks and nuns. I know not, however, whether Italy will go on much the better for having so few convents. Some should surely be left. Nay, some must be left in a country where it is not possible for every man to obtain a decent livelihood by labour, as in England. No army, no navy, very little commerce possible to the inland states, and very little need of it in any. Little study of the law, too, where the prince or baron's lips 
pronounce on the decision of property what must people do where so few professions are open can they all be physicians priests or shopkeepers where little physic is taken and few goods bought there are already more clergy than can live and i saw an abate with the petit collet at lucca playing in the orchestra at the opera for eighteen pence pay now with regard to the present state of morals at rome one must not judge from staring stories told one it is like heliogabalus's method of computing the number of his citizens from the weight of their cobwebs it is wonderful to me that the people are no worse where no methods are taken to keep them from being bad as to the society i speak not from myself for i saw nothing of it some english liked it but more complained wanting amusement however can be no complaint even without society in a city so pregnant with wonders so productive of reflections and if the roman nobles are haughty who can wonder when one sees doors of agate and chimney-pieces of amethyst one can scarcely be surprised at the possessor's pride should they in contempt turn their backs upon a foreigner whom they are early taught to consider as the turks consider women creatures formed for their use only or at best amusement and devoted to certain destruction at the hour of death with such principles the hatred and scorn they naturally feel for a protestant will easily swell into superciliousness or burst out into arrogance the moment it is unrestrained by the necessity of forms among the rich and the desire of pillage in the poor but i shall be glad now to exchange lapis lazuli for violets and vers antique for green fields here are more amethysts about rome than lilacs and the laburnum which at this gay season adorns the environs of london i look for in vain about the porta del popolo the proud purple tulip which decorates the ground hereabouts opposed to the british harebell is italy and england again but the harebell by cultivation becomes a hyacinth the tulip remains where it began we are now at the 16th of april yet i know not how or why it is although the oaks young small and straggling as they are have the leaves come out all broad and full already though the fig is bursting out every day and hour and the mulberry tree so tardy in our climate that i have often been unable to see scarcely a bud upon them even in may is here completely furnished apple trees are yet in blossom about this city and the few elms that can be found are but just unfolding common shrubs continue their wintry appearance and in the general look of spring little is gained the hedges now of kent and surrey are filled with fragrance i am sure and primroses in the remote provinces torment the sportsman with spoiling the drag on a soft scenting morning white limes horse chestnuts etc contribute to produce an effect not inferior to that fostered by italian sunshine as i expected to find it 
why the first breath of far distant summer should thus affect the oak and fig yet leave the elm and apple as with us the botanists must tell few advances have been made in vegetation since we left naples that is certain the hedges were as forward near Podswoli two four months ago and here are no china oranges to be bought no nor a cherry or strawberry to be seen for every man of fashion's table in london is covered with them and all the shops of covent garden and st james's street hang out their luxurious temptations of fruit to prove the proximity of summer and the advantages of industrious cultivation our eating pleased me more at every town than this where however a man might live very well i believe for sixpence a day and lodge for twenty pounds a year and whoever has no attachment to religion friends or country no prejudices to plague his neighbours with and no dislike to take the world as it goes for six or seven years of his life may spend them profitably at rome if either his business or his pleasure be made out of the works of art as an income of two or indeed one hundred pounds per annum will purchase a man more refined delights of that kind here than as many thousands in england nor need he want society at the first houses palaces one ought to call them as italians measure no man's merit by the weight of his purse they know how to reverence even poverty and soften all its sorrows with an appearance of respect when they find it unfortunately connected with noble birth his own country folks neglect as they pass through would indeed be likely enough to disturb his felicity and lessen the kindness of his roman friends who having no idea of a person's being shunned for any other possible reason except the want of a pedigree would conclude that his must be essentially deficient and lament the having laid out so many caresses on an impostor the air of the city is unwholesome to foreigners but if they pass the first year the remainder goes well enough many english seem very healthy who are established here without even the smallest intention of returning home to great britain for which place we are setting out to-morrow nineteenth of april seventeen eighty six and quit a town that still retains so many just pretences to be styled the first among the cities of the earth to which almost as many strangers are now attracted by curiosity as were dragged thither by violence in the first stage of its dominion impelled by superstitious zeal in the second the rage for antiquities now seems to have spread its contagion of connoisseurship over all those people whose predecessors tore down levelled and destroyed or buried underground their statues pictures every work of art poles russians swedes and germans innumerable flock daily thither in this age to admire with rapture the remains of those very fabrics which their own barbarous ancestors pulled down ten centuries ago and give for the head of olivia or probus or gallienus what emperors and queens could not then use with any efficacy for the preservation of their own persons now grown sacred by rust and valuable from their difficulty to be deciphered 
The English were wont to be the only travellers of Europe, the only dupes, too, in this way. But desire of distinction is diffused among all the northern nations, and our Romans here have it more in their power with that prudence to assist them, which it is said they do not want, if not to conquer their neighbours once again, at least to ruin them, by dint of digging up their dead heroes and calling in the assistance of their old pagan deities, now useful to them in a new manner, and ever propitious to this city. End of chapter 10